Well, a few weeks ago, uh, I was spending some time uh, in the OTCC Man Cave, which meets on Thursday nights at 7. Uh, I encourage you, it's only for an hour. Men, I encourage you to join us there. It's, it's uh, online uh, through Zoom. And uh, it is it's the perfect group for men in that there's absolutely nothing you need to do in advance. Just show up uh, and enjoy conversation. Uh, we uh, talk about the Lord. We talk about our lives. Uh, we pray. Uh, we just find ways that we can support one another uh, in this journey. Well, uh, our leader, Greg Evans, uh, asked us a question uh, to start our time with, uh, what do you do on vacation? What do you do to relax and get away? And I, I know that during COVID, there have been times I've just been daydreaming about this very question. I mean, lockdown has a way uh, of doing that to you. And what I found interesting as I pondered this question that Greg asked is that I really didn't necessarily have a place in mind uh, that is my favorite on a vacation spot. I enjoy everywhere I've been able uh, to go. What I named more is really a mindset or an activity. Uh, and for me, it's I like riding really fast in a boat or a convertible car or something like that. Um, I just love that. I love the wind blowing over uh, my bald head and just the exhilaration of, of riding that quickly in the outdoors. And at times in my journey, I must admit, I have been a little bit of a, a car aficionado. Uh, no, I, I don't work on them. I couldn't tell you how most of them work. I can't really name most of the parts. When I lift the hood, uh, if I want to impress somebody, I just say something like, it must be under the block. Uh, I think a lot of things must be under the block in a car. It's just, I just absolutely love cars. And in my time, uh, I have owned quite a few different cars. And I'm a respecter of all nations uh, when it comes to cars. I have owned American cars like Ford, Buick, Plymouth. And my first car was a Pontiac Tempest. Uh, I've owned Hondas. I've owned an old Acura. Now I have a Subaru. Uh, I've owned German cars. Matter of fact, old German cars are my very favorite. I've owned three different Volkswagens. I owned an old but really beautiful uh, BMW Z3. And I've even owned a Saab, a Swedish car. Now, that, so, that was some car, uh, my Saab. There are two types of Saabs, if you're uh, interested, uh, ones that run and ones that don't. And my Saab was more of the latter. Now, just uh, before we get into our teaching time, let me just ask you to interact a little bit. If you remember, uh, put in the chat box the name of your very first car. I just think that would be really interesting for us to see uh, the first cars that most of us owned. Well, what I like about cars and boats and trains and planes and all those things is they represent forward movement and they represent energy. Now, today, our message is not about cars or uh, the history of transportation, but it is about an entity in the world today that is promised by God to have extraordinary movement, extraordinary energy, and extraordinary power to move forward. This entity has unlimited capacity to bring hope and healing and goodness and grace and truth to the world that so desperately needs it. You may have guessed it. What I'm talking about is the church, the church of Jesus Christ. Now, again, let me just ask you to interact with this just for a moment. When I say the word church, 
what image, what image immediately comes to mind? Just go ahead and put that in the chat box if you would like, and you can just type that over uh, the next few minutes. Many of us will probably bring to mind beautiful images of buildings, and this can be really meaningful. Physical spaces can connect us to powerful memories. For some of us, when we go into a church, we we may remember that moment when we came to faith in Jesus Christ. Or we, we may remember that moment when we walked through the waters of baptism. Or when we dedicated our children. Or got married. Or said goodbye to a loved one. Physical spaces and places have a way of bringing memories in a very important and powerful way. But we have to be careful, don't we? We have to be careful that we don't worship the space but we make sure we worship the Lord of the space. As beautiful as these images may be, the image of the church as a stationary facility is inadequate. The image we have of the church in the Bible is one that is constantly on the move globally. And if you had to, if you had to compare the church to an inanimate object, the church is far more like a car than a building. Jesus took it even further and suggested that the church has a smashing type of effect on the world when it needs to. That the church can storm the gates of hell. Now, storming the gates of hell is not a stationary image, is it? Those of you in the military know about all kinds of vehicles that can smash through things. That is overwhelming power and energy and forward momentum. Now, I want to explore this idea a bit further this morning. Let me invite you to launch or turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. And what we're going to do is we're going to read one of the very first descriptions of the church of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 13 through 20. It reads like this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now, clearly, the topic of our message today is the church at work in the world and the power that God has given the church to do his work in the world. But before we dig in for a moment, let me just ask us to take this topic inside each one of us for a moment. It would be tempting in a time of incredible challenge like we're in right now to have all of our energies focused on us as individuals, 
on how we can navigate a challenging season of life. And we've spent a great deal of our teaching time since March taking a look at this, how we can be strengthened in our faith at a time like this. And this is good. And you may be wondering this morning, how does a message like this apply to me in a challenging time? Let me say to you, I believe it applies incredibly because I believe our involvement in the work of the church is one of the ways that God carries his people through challenging times. The work of the church calls us to join together, to band together, and to work for something bigger than ourselves. It calls us to lift our eyes to the horizon and participate in the mission of God. I cannot tell you personally how many times I've, I've, I've gotten settled and get, and get ready to launch a Zoom, whether it's for a staff meeting or a, a table group conversation or another type of meeting, and I've just, or, or, or I've participated in the food distributions, and before I would do something like that, I'll just maybe feel a little bit down or a little bit blue. I cannot tell you how many times that's happened to me, and I've gone into those settings, and I've come out lifted and encouraged and inspired in ways that I could never have had I just stayed to myself. There's something about the energy God gives his people as we participate in the church that carries us through a challenging season. So not only do we study the church because our Lord loves the church and because he called us to be a part of it, but we study it because it is God's grace to us in a time such as this. So let's dig in. And I may stretch my car metaphor a little this morning because what I would like to suggest, I'd like to suggest two elements that will drive the church forward in the world. Okay, excuse me just for a second. <coughs> Thank you. I want us to consider our namesake and our builder. Our namesake and our builder. On my morning walk most days, I end up walking by this beautiful red 1980-something Porsche on the corner of Fairfax, and I believe it's on the corner of Fairfax and Princess. I think it is a 1986 model. I told you I love old German cars. Uh, here's a pic that I found of one online. I've been tempted to take an actual picture of this one, but I thought, you know, that would really creep the owner out. If they see me at 6 a.m. with a dog on one leash, a camera in the other hand, taking a picture of her or his beautiful, incredible Porsche. Porsches are amazing cars. They look cool and they go fast. And they actually have a namesake. They're named after their founder, Ferdinand Porsche, who founded the company in 1931. Our text opens with a question that Jesus asked his disciples about his name, about his identity. Who do people say that I am? If we want to mix metaphors for a moment, it's like uh, he put a political poll. In political terms, he put a poll in the field. And the disciples responded with what they're hearing. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Jeremiah. Some say Elijah. Some say a prophet. Jesus was being compared to some of the most famous Jewish names in the faith. Then Jesus turned the question. He said to Peter, or he said to the disciples, what about you? And then Peter stepped up. 
And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Christ in Greek means anointed or chosen one. The Hebrew equivalent is Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, these words are so familiar to us in 2020 that they can actually start to lose their power and their meaning if we're not careful. But this was extraordinary. Let me just give you two ways. One is, it was extraordinary because of the setting. The setting was Caesarea Philippi. It was a city with a diverse religious culture. There were idols and shrines to pagan gods all around the city, and there were incredible monuments built in honor of Caesar. Now picture that for a moment. Got a a picture of one of the pagan temples on, on the screen for you. Just picture that for a moment. With this backdrop, Peter steps up and says of Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the son of the only living God. You are the son, you are the chosen one. He says this and the backdrop is littered with these shrines and these idols to dead end pagan gods. If we wanted to make some sort of material analogy, it would be like seeing that shiny red Porsche in a junkyard full of rusted out Ford Pentos and Chevy Vegas and AMC Pacers. And that pales by comparison. Just imagine that scene for a moment. It was extraordinary for Peter to do this in that moment, in that day, in that place, in that time. The second thing I want us to see with this naming of Jesus by Peter is the inadequacy of human categories to define him. Some call Jesus a great teacher, and he was, but that's a limited definition. Others call him a great movement leader, and he was, but that's a limited definition. Others call him a defender of the poor and a social reformer. Again, he was a limited definition of who he was, though. All Human categories break down. He was the unlimited one, the chosen one, the son of the living God. He was sent by God, empowered by God, raised to life by God. And this is not information that Peter just stumbled onto. Remember the text where Jesus says, you know, this was not given to you by flesh and blood. You didn't come to this with human understanding and in human categories. Jesus said, this knowledge was revealed to you by God. His name and his meaning, the essence of who he was, our namesake, the namesake of his church, completely defies all human limitations and all human categories. We are his church, and he is our namesake. We're named for him. And just like that little red Porsche reflects all the way back to old Ferdinand Porsche, our lives reflect back on Jesus. He was called Christ by Peter. The very name Christian means little Christ. Let me say that again. The very name Christian means little Christ. Let us always remember as we are at work in the world, 
that the church has its most extraordinary power to move forward and to represent Jesus and to do his work when we are bearing the full essence of his name. We are not Christians in name only, are we? You know, it's interesting in this country, it could be uh, tempting to get mixed up with saying, I'm American, so therefore I'm a Christian. And this can actually dilute the meaning of what it means to call yourself a Christian. Where you are born, the nation that you have your earthly citizenship in, that does not make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is confessing Jesus as the chosen one, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And we want to remember that if the church is going to have power in the world, that we not only are called Christians, but we have to be true to what that name represents. John said that Jesus came to earth full of grace and truth. We want to hold high the truth of Jesus and do so in a way that is full of grace. You see, some groups could say they are Christian named for Jesus and yet stray so far from the truth in doctrine that you can't even identify, you can't even recognize Christianity. Or some groups claim to be Christian, but they're the opposite of his grace in the world, and they reflect so poorly on him. You can't even see any resemblance of Christianity. Let me give you an analogy. When I owned my Saab, I would occasionally encounter other Saab geeks, if you will, and they would ask me, is my Saab pre-GM days or after? And my Saab was a 93, so it was pre-GM, before GM got involved in the Saab company. But their message was very clear. There were real Saabs, and then there were fake Saabs, if you will. As namesakes, we want to be true to him and all that he has called us to be. We want the essence of who he is to be behind the name. Before we move on, let's allow this question, though, to sink personally into us this morning. What about you? Who do you say Jesus is? Is he your Savior? Have you asked him to forgive you and liberate you from your sins? Is he the real deal to you? Is he your Lord? Is he your teacher? Is he the leader of your life? You know, kind of leaning into the upcoming series. Every time he says, do this, are you willing to do this? Are you willing to do what he calls you to do? It is the most important question you will ever consider. And let me just say to you now, if you want help sorting this out, let me encourage you to email us here. We want to help you. We want to reach out and talk with you more. So he's our namesake, but he's not just our namesake. He doesn't just put his name on us or, or brand us, if you will, and then walk away. He's also our builder. You know, cars have a namesake, a builder, a designer, engineers, and all these things. Sometimes, and most of the times in today's world, they're different people. But Jesus is all three for his church. Again, he doesn't just brand us and then walk away. He told Peter, I will build my church. Take note of the I and the my in that sentence. Now, let me put a little meat on this bone as it relates to Peter, 
uh, being called the rock just for a moment by Jesus. No, uh, he wasn't the, the Dwayne Johnson of the first century. Some have taken this to mean that St. That Peter was the foundation of the church. And no doubt, Peter was an influential and important leader. But Peter always pointed to Jesus as the foundation. So I just don't believe this interpretation is what we should follow. Some hold that Jesus was pointing to himself when he uttered the words, you are the rock. That might be a little bit of a a stretch. There's no way you could ever prove that. A long-held Orthodox Protestant view is that Jesus was referring to Peter's confession of faith and all who would follow Jesus. Their faith is the foundation of the church. But, you know, I wonder if it could even be a blend in some ways of the three. Of course, Jesus is the foundation of the church. Of course, Peter's confession of faith and our confession is crucial to the work of the church in the world. And Peter exercising his faith, responding to God's call, just like we do, is instrumental in the forward movement of the church empowered by the Holy Spirit. Well, back to the concept of Jesus as our builder. Think about what this means. As we go into the world on mission for him, we have everything we need. Everything to work the way Jesus, our builder, designed us to work. If you're designing a sports car, you're going to make sure the suspension is adequate to hug tight curves and the engine is designed to accelerate quickly. Jesus has built and equipped us with what we need. When his church is operating as it is designed to operate, our hearts beat as one in unity. When his church is operating as he designed it to, the chassis holds all the different parts and pieces together and they work in concert with each other. When his church is operating the way it designed to, the drive shaft of the church moves forward with great power to storm the gates of hell with victory. The gates of hell, Jesus said, will not overcome it. Now, what does this mean? Hades or hell in the time of Jesus was known as the realm of the dead. And so the phrase gates of hell was meant to portray a fortress of death. Gates represented power and might. Think about this idea of one passing through the realm of the dead. Think about someone who slips beyond the gates of the realm of the dead as gone and lost forever behind those powerful gates of the realm of the dead until Jesus. Until Jesus. He died. He slipped beyond the gates of the realm of the dead, but those gates could not hold him back. He prevailed. He stormed the gates of hell. He went to hell and back and broke through in victory. Now, the metaphor breaks down a little because we know that those who died before Christ, when they died, if they were in faith with God, we know that as Christ died, then they were saved through faith, right? And so this metaphor of realm of the dead begins to to slip, doesn't it? Even before Jesus, this metaphor, though, comes alive as we consider the resurrection of Jesus and that we will be raised with him to new life. That same hell-busting, gate-smashing power is the same power 
that he has given his church. Oh, sure, we will physically die one day if the Lord does not return soon, but physical death is just the beginning. Our souls will never die. So what does this mean for the church today? We are called to bring his life and love wherever we live, work, and play. We're called to bring his life and love into the pockets of hell every single day. He designed us this way. He designed us to be merciful, not mean in this world, which brings life instead of death. He designed us to be generous, not greedy, which brings life instead of death. He designed us to be loving in service to others, not lazy and self-centered, which brings life instead of death. He designed us to love truth and his word and not to dwell on rumors and gossip and conspiracies and false teachings and lies and deceit, which brings life instead of death. He designed us to lift others up and not to push them down, which brings life instead of death. He designed us to seek peace, not polarization, which brings life instead of death. We are the church. He has designed and built us to move out in the world. We bear his name. And we do the gospel work of Jesus in word and deed. And I don't know about you, but this just gives me a lift. It gives me a sense of inspiration right in the middle of a pandemic. That gives us reason to get out of bed every morning. Our world needs the hope and the love of Jesus. He's called us to bear that hope and that love. You know, Jesus told Peter he would give him and by extension, all who would believe the keys to the kingdom. Every teenager loves getting keys to the car. I think everybody likes getting keys to a car for that matter. Old Town Community Church. Jesus has given us all that we need to storm the gates of hell. He's designed us and he's built us to do just that. Let's get to it. Amen and amen. Let's pray together. God, we're so grateful for your church. Lord, I pray that you would lead each one of us to take a look at who you are and name you, first and foremost, as the Christ, the Son of the living God in our lives the chosen one, the one who defies all human categories, the one sent by God to bring salvation to all. God, we thank you that because of Jesus, your life ripples throughout this earth. We thank you that because of Jesus, because of the victory that he won for us over death, that the realm of death does not hold your people back. It does not hold your church back. God, we thank you that you've given us power to bring life where there is decay and death. So God, I pray that each one of us as individuals today would experience this new, this fresh, and this powerful life in you. And I pray Oh God, that you would help our church, Old Town Community Church, to be committed to bringing your life to this world that so desperately needs it. 
may we bear your name in such a way that brings you honor and glory. And may we serve and operate in the world the way you've built us to operate. God, thank you for your church. Thank you for Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.